Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need AI Matters series. This is Chris King, one of the co-hosts you'll meet throughout the series. We aim to bring order and focus to the AI discussion in and around the L&D world, exploring how it aligns with frameworks like the Five Moments of Need and learning content management. Throughout the coming months, we will be sharing both expert insights and real-life examples from practitioners. In this AI Matters podcast, Con Godfordson and I sat down with Vince Hahn, CEO and founder of Mobile Coach. Our conversation ranged from the importance of setting up standards and frameworks to help guide AI usage in your own organization, to how AI in learning is evolving towards a more conversational learning experience. Vince possesses a wealth of knowledge and expertise in AI, and we're excited he can help us get beyond the hype and bring focus to how it can help us change behavior and improve performance. Welcome, everyone, to AI Matters, the series that we're working on. I'm joined today by a great friend, Chris King, who I have the honor to work closely with. He's one of our co-hosts of this series. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Con. How are you? It's great to be here today. Terrific. And Chris has been running point for us for a long time on the artificial intelligence and what's going on. Chris and I today are joined by Vince Hahn, who over the years, I've had the privilege of knowing this remarkable human being. He's not only one of the most brilliant technology people that I've had the privilege of knowing uh, with experience, a deep experience, but he is genuinely a remarkable human being. Vince, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Thank you so much for having me. And that's such kind words. I think we should just stop right there. Yeah, no, 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 because we, we've got important things to talk about. I'd like you to take just a brief time here and give us a larger view of your professional journey and where you are right now. And then we'll dive specifically into artificial intelligence and your journey there. But can you just give the listeners a little more background of your experience and what has brought you to this point? Sure. Yeah. Many, many years ago when I was in college, I was actually a music major. I majored in the trombone. And I bet many listeners out there haven't met very many trombone performance majors, but uh, I certainly was one, one of few. And I loved the creativity behind music, the dynamic nature of collaborating with other musicians, the dynamic nature of creating something of beauty in the moment. And it just so happens, though, that there's not a lot of jobs for trombonists. I don't, I don't know if that comes as a surprise. <laughs> and this, when I was coming out of college, this was just as the internet was coming about in the mid-90s. And I got a job as I was sort of thinking about, what do I do with music? I don't want to drop music. I love it, but I need to put you know food on the table. So in the interim, I took a job with a friend of mine who had a really interesting vintage clothing business. And his idea was, what if we were to build a website where Japanese vintage clothing enthusiasts could buy old American vintage clothing, because this was a really big thing back then. And he was already exporting old vintage clothing to Japan. And so that's a long way to say that I joined him at the exact right time, where at that time, no one knew how to build a website because it was so new, let alone building an auction where people could purchase things because this was before eBay. And I like to tell that story because that's how I got into technology. I found the whole process. You know, my friend thought I was clever enough to figure this out. And the whole process of designing this user experience, figuring out the technology, I found to be just as thrilling as playing music in a symphony. 
And I found that because it was so new, it was a little bit of a, a level playing field. And so someone with a music background could indeed do what I was asked to do for my job. And so that's what led me into technology. The early days of the internet, the early days of dynamic database structuring and how to do queries and how to build websites where dynamic content could come about. So that started my journey both into technology and with entrepreneurship because that company was so young and early stage. It was just so fun to build that company. So since then, I have started after I left my friend and thought, hey, I'd like to try this entrepreneurship stuff myself. I have gone on to start seven companies. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah, some have been, they have been all so valuable. Uh, some have been more successful than others. And I've learned a lot from each one. They all have had a technology component to it. They all have had some sort of digital media component to them. And in early on, because when you start a technology company, oftentimes you need some investment and capital before you can even have a product to start making money. So that's why a lot of technology companies go out and raise money to build their startups. And so, as you might imagine, not a lot of investors were interested in investing in a trombone major. So I actually took a couple of years and I earned an MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management, gave me a little bit more credibility, and that helped me with my subsequent companies that I wanted to start, get some credibility with some investors and and start building some companies. So that's sort of my background. And I ended up running and starting and running a chatbot company 11 years ago, and I'm still doing that today. And so it's been 11 years of diving into chatbots and artificial intelligence and all that entails. Oh, thank you. Well, I didn't know about the trombone. I uh, was not as accomplished as you, but my uncle played the trombone for the Utah Symphony. And so that prompted me to learn the trombone, but there's no way in the world I'm going to compare capabilities there with you, nor anywhere else, actually, Vince. <laughs> but that's uh, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us specifically a little bit more about your journey with artificial intelligence and where you are now and the role that that is playing in your work in your business. Yeah. So I became fascinated with behavior change and how people made choices in their own lives and how people made choices using software and, and different apps and things like that. And when I started the current company, a chatbot company that I'm doing now, my, by the way, my company is called Mobile Coach. It started with this idea of, you know, a lot of people will download a fancy app to try to walk more or run more or lose weight or do something to improve their lives through behavior change. And a lot of people will download these apps and they're beautiful apps. They're highly functional apps, but after a few days, they'll stop using them. And this was something I was really thinking a lot about because some companies were spending millions of dollars building these functional apps, and yet people would stop using them after a few days. And so I asked myself, what are messages that we receive that we never ignore? And to me, the answer was for most of us, if we get an incoming message from a friend or a family member or someone that we know and trust, Pretty much no matter what's going on in our lives, we're not going to ignore those messages. You know, we'll ignore emails from strangers or even colleagues at some time. But if someone's really in our entrusted circle, would we ignore those messages? For most people, the answer is no. And so I thought, could I design an automated friend or a virtual friend? I didn't really call it a chatbot 11 years ago that had a personality such where if it kept on texting me, I wouldn't ignore it. And that's how 
my fascination with sort of virtual personalities and chatbots started is trying to answer that question. And it really was more of a design question than it was as a technology question. And so what I did was back then I, I took an ad out in the Craigslist or whatever, you know, sort of online classifies and I said, hey, if you're out there trying to lose weight, I've got a solution for you. Let me know. It's free. And so I got a bunch of people answered that ad. And what I did is I wrote a script. So I didn't use any technologists. I wrote a script. I bought some Google phone numbers. And all I did was, based on my script, I copy and pasted from my Word doc into a Google phone number and texted these people every day. And I just wanted to see when they would stop answering. Hmm. So if I texted a message after two days or three days, would they stop answering? Would they say, stop texting me? Or after two or three weeks or even a couple of months, would they still stay engaged? And I found that through experimenting with wording and with personality and time of day and things like that, that I could get people engaged much longer than these fancy apps that cost millions of dollars and look beautiful. I could get people engaged longer. And so that made me really fascinated behind, okay, there's something here. There's something behind a virtual persona that can engage with human beings. And so that started my journey towards learning about this, learning how to automate it, learning about all the technology that would be required to do something like that automatically. Vince, that's an amazing story. And I'm really fascinated by the idea that all of this started with you just experimenting with almost a psychological connection or experiment with people. So as we have gotten through the first storm of generative AI and all of the hype that's around that, I mean, it, it's increasingly integrated into various sectors everywhere. How is that virtual persona going to change when it comes to AI and the technology that you can bring to bear for these chatbots? And just in general, what do you see on the AI technology landscape that you think that we need to be looking for? Well, I often tell people that when people are interacting with a computer conversationally, they care less about the whiz-bang technology behind it and they care about what the computer is saying. And yeah, sure, the last few years, there's been a lot of hype around the whiz-bang technology because it is really cool. But at the end of the day, most people will just care about, does this message make sense? Uh, <laughs> is it adding value to me? I was having a communication the other day via chat. It was a person supposedly you know, seeking to communicate with me. And I wrote back, are you a real person or are you just a piece of technology talking to me? And there was a pause and uh, it became really clear to me that this was just a piece of technology trying to communicate with me. And so I disengaged, obviously. But that's the point, right? To what degree can generative and communicative AI help in a very personal way and meet yeah. those needs that we have? Yeah, that's right. And I think, so going back to this, this idea of personality and, and virtual persona, I do think it's a really important factor in the usefulness of this of any automated technology. Now, it's not everything. There are cases where, like, if you're in an emergency or you need something, some immediate help, then, you know, personality is less important. In fact, in some cases, maybe it's not important at all. If you're needing some immediate emergency medical attention, for example, and a chatbot can aid with that and provide this sort of life-saving material or even notifications or, or help. You know, you're not going to care about whether that chatbot's funny or, or nice. You're just going to want it to do its job. But 
in most use cases, the tone, the tenor, the personality plays a huge role in how much we trust the content and how much we're going to engage with it over time. And ultimately, then how much that's going to be beneficial to us, both at work and at home. So on that technology landscape, what should we be watching out for? What what do you see happening in that world that is giving you hope and energizing you? Well, I think one of the things that has been really remarkable with these large language models that have come out in, in recent years that have really blown everybody away, you know, the jump in capability from what we had before a chat GPT, and I'll just use chat GPT, even though there's BARD and Bing and many of these other LLMs that we've been using, the jump from like how quote unquote smart or intelligent chatbots were before then. So I'll, I'll look at Alexa or a Google Home Assistant or things like that, where, yeah, they were smart and they could tell us the weather and that maybe they could play a song and a playlist and obey some of those simple commands. The overnight ability when ChatGPT was released to have actually and carry on an intelligent conversation has really blown everybody away and has really opened the eyes of what's possible in terms of artificial intelligence. And and I think that is driving sort of that consumer expectation now is driving all the innovation to say, okay, well, how, how smart can this stuff get? And what types of tasks can it do for humans? And maybe in, in some cases, instead of humans, what things can it do to get consumers to spend their money <laughs> and organizations to spend their money? So what types of products can we build? And of course, we see all the time so many companies all of a sudden overnight embedding AI-driven components into their technology to sell more of their product. And so it's really a new age and era. And the the pace of innovation, or at least the pace of announcements of innovations, is really busying, isn't it? And so the question of what should we be looking out for, I think a lot of people are saying, well, how do I just keep up, <laughs> let yeah. alone look out for it? And so I, I would say because the pace of innovation is so dizzying and, and will continue to be for the foreseeable future, keeping focus on not the whiz-bang sort of shiny marketing speak, but really asking ourselves when we're interacting with some of these AI tools, how is this helping my organization? How is this helping me in my life? And I think that's what people really should be focused on. Yeah, you know, my experience has been if we can't bring to bear frameworks that really matter to us and then begin to look at this technology or any technology in the context of those frameworks, then it becomes so challenging to try to track and bring any order to the chaos. For example, one of the questions that I think would be a great question to pursue, and that is, is it possible for us to structure content in a way that allows AI to behave more intelligently. A lot of the work that we've done over the years in terms of content management, taking unstructured content and structuring it. One of our clients, we actually have been able to move in in a, a learning content management strategy where we've structured the content, where we know this is a task, a job task. This is the supporting knowledge associated with this. This is a frequently asked question. This is a problem resolution decision tree, you know, and then having that content structured, that then opens the door for AI technology to begin to do some things in a much smarter 
more powerful way. And what, what has troubled me is that I see this, I use the example of a Keystone Cop kind of approach where we're, we seem to be running here and there and everywhere. And I'm asking the question, are there some frameworks that we can put in place that help us then begin to explore the capacity, what AI can do, where it can be helpful, where it can stand alone, and where it ought to go? Does that make sense? And- it makes it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think what you're talking about in terms of unstructured content. Well, when people put together for for you listeners out there in your organizations, there's undoubtedly a knowledge management system or an intranet where there's a bunch of useful information about how to do your job or you know information about your product. I guarantee you, when whoever wrote those things and put those together, we're not we're not thinking. Hmm. I wonder uh, what a chatbot was going to do with this in a couple of years. Yeah. That's not that wasn't the lens of how they wrote that. And also, you know, a newsflash: you might think you've got a lot of content, but you don't have enough content to train a large language model to be fluent in your stuff. Uh, we're talking about needing hundreds of billions of interactions in order for an LLM to be really good and an expert in your content. And even if you had hundreds or even thousands of pages of content, it's still not enough. And so you are going to have to structure that content somehow for AI to make any sense of it, to be useful to your organization. And that requires work. That requires a framework, exactly what you're talking about, Khan. And so, you know, a lot of people are disappointed to say, oh, well, what I thought was we could just flip a switch and all of a sudden this chatbot will know everything about our company. I think people are finding that's not going to be as true as they would like. And there is some work that needs to be done. In some cases, a lot of work that needs to be done to structure their content, their vernacular, their culture, their values in a way that can be useful for AI. Yeah, I think that's a significant blind spot that we need to be thinking about. If I could comment, Con, about the frameworks too, it's, it is moving so fast that unfortunately, like there's no one governing body that's creating like a set of standards that could be useful for interoperability. You know, standards oftentimes in the technology landscape can be super useful for different technologies to be building on top of. So there's nothing like that. And, and it's moving so fast that it's unlikely that any sort of standardized framework is going to come about, which then emphasizes the importance for each organization to come up with sort of an AI frameworks that's, you know, has their values, you know, embedded in it, a way for them to make decisions, a way to execute the implementation of AI. So it's a really important point, Khan, but one that is still in its nascency in terms of AI execution. Yeah, the good news is that this series is really about bringing folks who are exploring those and those frameworks who are implementing their own frameworks to help us. And then we need to work together to vet those frameworks and build some frameworks that cut across because there are fundamental things that we do in our work, in our profession. I think you have a view beyond learning in terms of organizational support, right? A lot of our work is in the, the learning world, and, and that's an area where we're specifically, you know, learning and job performance world. And that is one area of framework. There are others. And so that is a point well taken. Yeah. And Vince, you, you've got a great view into 
how those standards are being thought about and developed within individual organizations and what some organizations are doing to build in some frameworks around that. And our main audience here is, of course, from the L&D space. And so we're very interested in how is education and learning and how are those being built into the AI and the way that people interact with generative AI or the other AI flavors. So do you have some real world examples of impactful AI? Have you seen some examples of people that are doing the standards and frameworks right or kind of really understand better than others where this could go and what the real potential is that they could realize with it? Yeah, I do think what I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of momentum in learning and development. I see two big trends. I see one where, and this is right up your alley, everyone that is interested in performance support should be talking with your group. So I think that is a big trend that I'm seeing where all of a sudden it's easy to imagine Maybe it's not as easy to execute, but it's certainly easy to imagine, and that's where this starts. It's easy to imagine a functional, intelligent chatbot that can help someone in the moment of need and have that be incredibly effective and efficient, scalable, multilingual, et cetera, et cetera. What value to an organization that would have? And to touch on the point that we just talked about unstructured content, yes, there's a little bit of work to structure content for AI to make sense of it and to be consistent with the type of delivery that an organization would expect a bot to have. But once that work is done, you have the benefit of all that scalability to do that. So I like to say that the way to think about controlling AI to deliver the content you want it to deliver in a learning context is that you want the chatbot to be a good corporate citizen. And so maybe one high-level description of the framework is what framework do we need to ensure that our AI chatbot is a good corporate citizen? The second trend that I'm seeing is, I think, very innovative as well, and that is replacing a traditional linear e-learning course with something more conversational. And so in as much that learning is a journey and it is a combination of taking in knowledge, trying to apply it, practicing, getting feedback, that well, all those things are hard to do in a 30-minute e-learning course. But it can be incredibly interesting, engaging, and effective happening through a chatbot, like on a Microsoft Teams channel or a Slack channel or something like that. So I'm seeing that as a trend where people are saying, hey, let's actually train a chatbot to be smart about let's say a course like a leadership basics, how to be a great manager. People have, organizations have that content, train a chatbot on that content and and then have it be a coach to coach people along over time instead of a 30 minute class or a two hour workshop and see what the results can be in terms of influence behavior and then having people improve their skills. That's a trend that I, I'm very excited about and I'm seeing organizations starting to embrace. You could almost say it's a digital coach. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Any example of someone who's done something that has really had and showing some impact and promise? Yeah. So I can talk about a project. So a lot of the projects that I'm a part of, not able to talk about you yeah. know, publicly. We understand yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But one that I can that I think is really interesting is Yale University is received a significant federal grant to create a network for pediatric pandemic response. So this is a federal grant that says all across the country, there are small healthcare clinics, large hospitals, community centers, families 
that if there was a pandemic or a natural disaster, really, what is the appropriate response and what are the resources available to protect our children? Really interesting grant, really interesting project. And so they have amassed hundreds and hundreds of resources that will answer really any question that someone might have, whether it be a healthcare clinic or a clinician in a small rural healthcare clinic or a parent in a large urban area, whatever question they might have, like, oh, there's an earthquake, what do I do? Or this organization has a resource. However, okay, so then they have a chatbot. But because this is federally funded, there are a lot of really strict rules around how this presentation of this chatbot should work. So this chatbot will always have an answer to a question within this field, within this topic. But if the chatbot cannot deliver the actual verified source of where this answer came, then the requirement is, is that the chatbot should not let the user know. The chatbot will just say, sorry, I, I can't answer your question. And so there's these guardrails that Yale University has to obey in order to execute what they agreed to with a grant, using technology, having the guardrails. And so I like to share this use case because it shows the power of using AI technology, but also understanding that most organizations will have some guardrails similar to this and needing to find a combination of this technology where AI just can't go run amok and just be not controlled at all. So to me, that's a really interesting use case of teaching their community, their people, how to access content on demand when they need it. And in fact, in many cases, critically, but also putting some guardrails around it to make sure that it's uh, credible. Vince, I love this idea of guardrails in combination with AI as a good corporate citizen. I'm going to borrow that and use that again. But are there other cautions? Are there other areas where we should be looking to pump the brakes a little bit on the AI hype or, or areas where we should be leaning in to what kind of additional guardrails or constraints do we need to put on an AI implementation in our organizations? I do think that organizations, in my experience the last couple of years, are worried about two big things. They're worried about protecting their content, their intellectual property. Yeah. And I think that if a cybersecurity officer within that company does any really rigorous level of diligence that I don't think that as much of concern as people think, because there are easy ways to protect your content. The more pressing concern is the second concern, and that is hallucinations, mm. uh, which is the term for when an AI says something as fact, but it is in fact incorrect. And that can not only have sort of the obvious ramifications of just misinforming people, there could be liability behind that as well. So I do think that's a huge area of caution where, again, organizations will need some sort of framework to figure out, hey, how do we decide when we can use AI to deliver some information to our intended audience or our workforce? What kind of guardrails can we employ to mitigate that and correct it and to monitor it? And that is one area where I do think there needs to be human beings involved in both the framework and executing mitigation and strategies to manage that. One last point. So as you look to the future, you know, Chris and I kind of have fun stepping back and going, what if, where could this lead? What are the opportunities? We're right now working with a manufacturing company and I'm going, goodness gracious, in the world of performance support, I could walk onto a line and my digital coach can know where I am, who I am, what my role is, and what piece of equipment I'm at, and what others are doing. And if I've got the content right, I can ask questions and 
seek guidance and be talked through what to do and really actually get to the resources that I need to support me at my moment of need. And so I keep thinking about the future. So for just a few moments here in your world, what do you envision and hope to see down the road happening with this growth and progress of artificial intelligence helping us in this world that you work in? But if I could build on on the scenario you just mentioned, well, I think there's two thoughts that come to mind. One is that probably sooner than most of us are comfortable with, there'll be some computer that can do that job instead of the human being. But let's just put that idea on the shelf for a moment. You know, very quickly, we're going to see multimodal AI chatbots. What I mean by that is right now, most chatbots, well, they're starting to be multimodal. So you, you can text with a chatbot. Now you can show it some pictures. But pretty soon, there'll be chatbots that can see and hear and also speak. And so imagine having a hologram next to you doing your job that can see you do what, do what you're doing, that as a hologram, avatar can point to the screen or point to the piece on the line and show you what to do in real time. So it's not just about what's in front of your computer. That, I think, is coming much sooner than maybe those of us think is even possible. Right now, technologists know how to do that. And so it's just a matter of building it, productizing it, making it affordable, getting the bugs out. But that will be here sooner than we think. Vince, thank you for taking some time with Chris and with me here today on You're Remarkable. And one of these days, I'm going to corner you and talk a little bit more about trombones. But meanwhile, I look forward to our further discussions in this important area. Well, thank you so much for having me. This this was really fun and anytime. I'll just say that this this conversation around AI and how AI is going to change the world of performance in organizations is a fascinating one. And Vince, you are leading the way for a lot of people. So thank you for all the work that you're doing and thank you for being open with all the things that you're learning about it. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you. Onward and upward team. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH, as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and will subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.